Hello and welcome to The Church's Radical Reform, the podcast series exploring the process that Pope Francis has begun to reform the Catholic Church. My name is Christopher Lamb and in this episode I am talking to the leader of the Teze community, a monastic group in France which welcomes all Christians. Now in the last episode I spoke to a Pentecostal pastor about how the synod process can impact all the churches and Christian traditions. And as the Synod Assembly prepares to meet in Rome, Teze are organising a gathering of young Christians from different traditions to take part in a series of events. On the eve of the Synod, Pope Francis will hold a prayer vigil in St Peter's Square, which will be attended by high-profile church leaders from all denominations, including the Archbishop of Canterbury. I spoke to Brother Matthew, who is soon to become the prior of Teze, and he is the first Anglican to be chosen for this role. Brother Matthew talked to me about Teze, Christian unity, the Synod, and the forthcoming events in Rome. Good. Well, Brother Matthew, thank you very much for joining me uh, on this podcast. You've recently been uh, appointed as the prior of the Teze community. You'll be taking up that post uh, later in the year. Uh, Teze, of course, is an ecumenical Christian fraternity, community based in Burgundy in, in, in France. You are the first um, Anglican. Can you tell us a bit about how you ended up at Teze and, uh, and your own background? Thank you, Christopher, for your welcome. Um, yeah, I was, I was born in the north of England in Yorkshire um, and grew up in an Anglican family. And we always went to church you know, as, as children. Faith played a very important role for us. Um, but it was only really when I went off to university and I, I, I met um, peers who, who were yeah, searching for Christ, trying to understand what God wanted for, for them in their lives. And, and they were young people of various Christian denominations. Um, and we prayed a lot together. We searched a lot together. Uh, trying to understand what was the way forward for us as, as young Christians in the university context. And some of them had been to Teze, um, and they spoke to us about that and, and suggested that in the first summer holidays we go off and uh, spend uh, two weeks there. Um, in the city where I studied, there was a, a prayer group that met in the cathedral uh, and sung uh, using you know, songs from Teze. So I was familiar already with the music, and, and, and it was something which, uh, yeah, touched me immensely, that, that way of praying, uh, listening to the Bible, long moments of silence, simple uh, songs. Um, and so we went off on that first summer, uh, in the first summer holidays, um, spent a week taking part in the youth meetings, and then we all spent a week on silent retreat. And that was something which was, which was very, very beautiful for me. Um, to have time really to stop and to listen to the scriptures to try to understand you know, what, what God was saying to me in my own life. And we returned home. There was a brother who asked us before we left, what are you going to do to continue your experience um, uh, from Teze in, in, in your home localities? And when we were six Lads, and we, we decided to share a house together. We shared our money. We uh, prayed each morning. 
Uh, we welcomed foreign students for meals. And, and during that time, I understood that community life was something very, very important for me. And then I finished with some exams. I went back to Teze and stayed for four weeks. And that was a very intense moment for me. Um, and the understanding that the brothers came from different Christian denominations, it became clearer and clearer and seemed to me something very, very authentic. I knew of the prayer of Jesus in in, in John's Gospel, chapter 17, where he prayed for the unity of his disciples, almost placing the credibility of his own mission on earth on uh, that unity. And so I asked if I could take a year free from my studies and return to Tezzi as a long-term volunteer. And that's what I did. Um, and then I stayed. I was very radical at the time, uh, this idea of leaving everything behind in order to follow Christ. It's very important to me. Yeah, I was, I was 21. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd done two years at university um, and uh, I was young. I was very young. Wow. But I'm always grateful for that because, you know, when you're young, uh, you can grow into uh, a vocation. And, and it's true that for many of us, many of our brothers now, they're, they're a little bit older. And this happens more and more today for young people that they take more time in making their life's decisions. And that can be yeah, good on one side because, uh, yeah. They've had some experience already of life, but when you're young, you can grow into something. Um, and that was very important for me, I think. Yeah. And Tese has always uh, attracted young people, hasn't it? It's had that, that charism. Young people wanted to to go to to Tese and uh, experience the the prayer life there. Yes, that's that's true. But at the outset, you know, Brother Roger, he didn't found the community with the aim of welcoming young people. Um, he spent the first two years alone. Uh, he brought uh, refugees, people who were in danger because of the the war in uh, in France. Some of them were Jewish. He helped them find their way towards Switzerland, um, and he uh, the first brothers came in 1944. Um, and they were different denominations from within the Protestant churches. Um, and he had this desire to, to live what he called a parable of communion, <clears throat> a sign of unity you know, between Christians of different denominations. Um, because he had this intuition that if Christians showed that they would love it, could love each other, then more people would believe in the gospel and there'd be a bigger chance for peace in the human family. And that was the, the idea at the beginning. Um, and uh, the brothers got involved in all kinds of theological dialogue. He went very, very quickly to to see Pope Pius XII on the advice of the Catholic Archbishop of, of, of Lyon, Cardinal Gerlier. Pope John XXIII, he visited often, and then he was an observer at the Second Vatican Council. And so this, this contact with the Catholic Church, it became greater and greater. Um, and... Uh, 1960s, it was a time of great change in youth culture in Western Europe. Um, and young people, yeah, they were searching, searching, searching. And some of them came to Teze. And I think things kind of spread by word of mouth. Um, and more and more came. And at first, the brothers were a little bit afraid. They built a house uh, four kilometers away from Teze for these young people and said, you can stay there. Um, but they kept coming. And it seemed as if what God was asking to to offer a, a space yeah for young people so that they could come and pray and listen and, and and search and that was how the youth meetings began but it was a big big change for the community 
um, and and it meant really you know transforming what was a, a fairly traditional monastic prayer into uh, something that was accessible for young people from different churches, different nations, um, and uh, yeah, some with very little faith background at all. And that was how you know uh, the community developed uh, what are known today as the songs of Teze, these simple, repetitive uh, songs taking words from scriptures or from uh, prayers of the tradition and, and and repeating them over and over again. Yeah, it strikes me that um, the the mission of Teze, uh, growing out of the Second World War and the instability in in Europe. Um, that that in some ways, you know, we, we've got a similar kind of context with another war in Europe now. So, does that give you at Teze a sense that your mission is 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 needed now more than more than ever? I, I think you know we have to accept that in Teze we're a very small community. We don't have great means um, to do all kinds of different missions. It's already a lot to welcome the young people in in Teze itself. Um, and we always hold at the end of each year what we call our European Youth Meeting in a in a city somewhere in Europe. This year it's going to be in, in Ljubljana between uh, Christmas and New Year. I ask myself, uh, with the situation in, in Ukraine, um, what is God asking us to do? Yeah, in in that in that situation, because we've welcomed many young people from Ukraine uh, over the years in Teze, but also from Russia. And I myself, you know, since 1993, uh, almost every year up until the pandemic, I, I, I visited Russia. You know, lots of links there. Um, so that's that's really something that I carry in, in, in my heart. But what will that mean? That we don't know yet. You know? It's a case of being attentive to, to what the Spirit says to us through the churches, through different peoples, um, and, and be ready to act when, when the moment seems uh to indicate that uh, yeah. but i think most of all what we offer in teze it's a space where people can meet and, and perhaps that's the most important thing you know where they can meet in simple gatherings and uh without having to speak necessarily about these difficult situations and you as the, an anglican being the prior of the community can you explain how that works I'll be the third prior. You know, Brother Roger, he was from the Reformed tradition. He was from Switzerland. Brother Alois, his successor, uh, is a German Catholic. And it's true, I'm an Anglican from, from the north of England. Um, but I think for us in the discernment process, it's not so much you know, the, the question of the denomination that counts. Um, it's, it's the question of who uh, is felt most apt to act as the servant of communion, as we call the prior. Um, and you know, there's very little written in, in our rule about how to, to choose the new prior. It's set simply that the prior uh, designates a brother in order to assure a continuity after him. So it leaves a big, a big freedom uh, in, in the choice. Um, and Brother Alois announced already Two years ago, that he 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 wanted to 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 withdraw from uh, his ministry, 
um, and he began a kind of consultation you know, with with the brothers. Um, and the result of that consultation was that he asked me to take on this this ministry. Um, and it's true, you know, it raises the question: I'm Anglican. What does that mean? Uh, I don't think it'll mean anything different in the direction that the community takes. Um, and 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 yes, surely it does give us a great freedom for the future as well. The fact that the, the, the first three priors were from different Christian denominations, it means that there's, there's a great liberty there for the future. The local Catholic bishop will be there, but there'll also be representatives of the Orthodox Church, of the, uh, the Protestant Church in France, and of the Anglican Church as well. Yes. So... You as 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 a monastic community, you you have your regular cycles of prayer, which are ecumenical. They're not it's not based on denomination, um, but you have a Eucharist as well, which presumably that that's where the point of of difficulty arises, isn't it? Presumably because you know of the of the prohibitions of receiving the Eucharist if you're not a Catholic in the Catholic Church. How do you navigate all of that? Yeah, we, we navigate all that with a with a lot of simplicity, but also with a lot of consultation. Um you know, the as I said a little bit earlier, no, the, the the prayer of the brothers at the beginning, it was a very monastic prayer, uh, based on you know the the Benedictine prayer. Um which evolved as we began to welcome young people. We meet morning, midday, and uh, and evening all together for, for community prayer. The first brothers were all from the different Protestant churches, but after the Second Vatican Council, there there were young men from the Catholic Church who asked you now to 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 join the community. And um, you know Brother Roger he, he felt it important that we we share from the same table and, and uh and with the blessing of the local Catholic bishop, it became possible for the brothers you know, all to receive you know, the Catholic Eucharist. But with the young people who come, every time there is the celebration of the Eucharist, there's also uh, what we call the blessed bread. It's a very ancient tradition which exists in some parts of the Catholic Church, but mainly in the Orthodox Church now, um, where there is uh, bread which is blessed at the altar, but which is not uh, Eucharist. Um, and at the moment when there's the distribution of the Eucharist, uh, then the blessed bread is also there for those who, for one reason or another, can't or don't wish to to receive the Eucharist. And in that way, everybody can find their place. Uh, everybody feels welcomed. Because even within the Catholic Church, there can sometimes be difficulty about receiving the Eucharist. Um, and I think for us, the, the main thing there is at that moment, nobody feels excluded, you know, that everybody can receive something. Yeah. So you're really trying to put um, ecumenism and, and that Christian unity into action. But at the same time, in our context, it's very difficult to separate people, if you see what I mean. Yes. Um, and um, the way in which we live the Eucharist in, in, in Teze, it's not a solution. It's a step on the journey. Um, you know, the... the what we we would hope is 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 a move towards full communion. Yeah, that's 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 clear. Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of the prayer of Jesus. Well, I think that brings us on to the to the synod process, which, of course, has got Christian unity very much at the heart of what it's trying to do. Um, and 
you are very closely involved in a major ecumenical prayer vigil in Rome that's taking place on the 30th of September as the as the synod is about to to get underway. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and what Pope Francis has asked Teze to do? Yeah, it, it began um, because Brother Alois, uh, our current prior, uh, was invited to the opening of, of the Synod on Synodality in October 2021. Um, and in the words that he used to address the assembly, he, he spoke about the possibility of involving Christians of other denominations, not just from the Catholic Church in the synodal uh, pathway, um, and also taking moments to breathe, as he put it, to stop and to pray together. And then he said, Pope Francis, he invites us to dream, and I have a dream of a gathering of the people of God, people from all different churches, uh, from all different uh, parts of society, people from the margins, people from different ethnic communities, all gathered there on St. Peter's Square to pray for the Synod. And, and so the wheels were set in motion to prepare this ecumenical prayer vigil. Um, and the Secretariat for the Synod, they asked that it be it take place just before the start of the Synod, because there was this very wonderful idea from Cardinal Koch and Sorry, Cardinal Graf and Cardinal Hullerich, um, that the synod should begin with uh, two or three days of, of of retreat for the participants, and they had this idea that the prayer vigil could be the uh, the starting point yeah, for for this retreat, and so that's what's going to happen on the thirtieth of September. Um, all the s- participants in the synod will be present, uh, together with uh, over twenty different heads. Uh, of churches, um, leaders of different Christian communities, um, and uh, young people from throughout Europe and further afield, pilgrims who will be in Rome and also um, people from the church in Rome uh, will come and, uh, and, and take part. And Pope Francis will be there as well. This will be the e- an evening prayer service. It'll begin, it'll begin at five in the evening and, and go through until uh, seven yeah, that, that evening. It won't be all night, yeah, but uh, it'll be at the start of the evening. Yeah, And it really puts the, the Synod uh, gathering in October um, in within the context of Christian unity, the fact that it's yeah. something purely that... Yeah affects the Catholic Church. This is something that yeah. has a wider impact. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's that's very true. Uh, when Pope Francis made the, the public announcement after the Angelus in, uh, I think it was July the 15th, uh, sorry, January the 15th of, of this year, um, he, he said uh, that uh, the invitation was to brothers and sisters of different Christian traditions to come and to pray uh, for the... Uh, the, the Synodal Assembly of, the, of Bishops, you know, that will be beginning in October. Um, and the synodality and ecumenism go go hand in hand, you know. Um, and and it's it's very interesting. I took part in, the, with another of our brothers, uh, in in the continental stage of the Synod in Prague. And it was, it was really very, very remarkable to see how within the Catholic Church there's such diversity, and yet somehow... 
able to journey together you know, during during that time. And this method of the conversation in the spirit, uh, where you know the you're in a small group with with lots of different people, um, and um, you begin by invoking the Holy Spirit by praying together, and then each person shares something of, of what's touched them in the document or the theme that's being uh, uh, debated. And then you make a second round and, and people uh, react to what somebody else has said. And then there's a third round where you try to find a consensus of, of some points to put forward in the plenary session. And and this, for me, was very, very beautiful because it wasn't sort of arguing with each other or trying to put across your point of view, but it was listening to the spirit, listening to each other um, in order to find a common path. And, and that, for me, that's something which can help us also uh, on our ecumenical journey towards unity. And I say to myself you know, that if the Catholic Church can recognize that the diversity and, and cherish the diversity which there is already within itself, is there a, a, a hope as well for a greater communion with, with, with Christians who are uh, at this moment not part of the Roman Catholic Church? You know, can their diversity also be welcomed? So do you see this as quite an exciting moment for, for Christian unity and ecumenism after what sometimes has felt um, perhaps some, uh, th- that things have stalled a bit? But do, do, you, do you see something quite quite exciting happening now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's captivating. And when I was in Prague, I thought, this is it. You know, this is what the church should be. We're listening to each other. <clears throat> We're walking together. We're not necessarily agreeing on everything, but we're understanding that there's a unity which is already given in Christ yeah, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and 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 yeah, people sometimes say, but the synodal uh, pathway—it's it's the putting into practice of what was already uh, agreed at the Second Vatican Council. Um, it's it's a reawakening, and I think that's true in many ways. There's nothing new as such. Um, but it's 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 the implementing, the putting into practice of, of of what was what was discovered during the Second Vatican Council, and you know there there was a great impetus in the ecumenical movement after the after the council. But it's true that you know people have got used to walking together on parallel paths and meeting occasionally. Um, do we need something now which is going to? Uh, show us creative ways of bringing us closer together. Yeah. yeah. And that's great hope with the Synod that something like that will happen. And even though there are these seemingly very big divisions between Christians, disagreements over the questions of ordination, for example, ordination of sure. women, how does a Synod address that? those kind of intractable disagreements, do you think? It, it was very interesting. I was at the press conference for the presentation of the Instrumental Laboris, uh, the work document of the Synod uh, here in Rome in, in June. And, you know, there were questions uh, that came up, you know, with regards to the, the you know, the, the position of women, uh, uh, LGBTQ rights, all these things. Um, and Cardinal Gretsch, he, he replied uh, very, very clearly that the synod doesn't have some kind of hidden agenda, yeah. 
the synodal journey is a journey of listening. Yeah, and and it was very very striking that in all the continental stages, the same issues were coming up, and that's the reason why they were included in the instrumental laboris. It's not that the secretary of the synod had ideas of what should be put on the agenda, but it's it's the questions which questions which inhabit yeah the the people of God, um, and the synod simply seeks to I think to 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 listen to those voices and then to try to discern. What is the spirit saying uh, to us today? Yeah, because yeah. we're getting a lot of, or well, we're hearing a lot from uh, different quarters that the synod's going to change doctrine and that it's going to cause a calamity for the Catholic Church. And then people then say, well, look at the synod in the Anglican communion and all the divisions there. Um, what, what do you say to, to that? Um, yeah, you know, I think... If I could say one thing uh, with the synodal pathway in the Catholic Church, I'm extremely encouraged because it really is this desire to listen to each other. Yeah, synods, they're not parliaments as such. They're not there to debate issues yeah, in, in their true sense, but they're there to walk on the same path, to journey together. Um, and, you know, but some of the burning issues... Perhaps it's not the moment in time to 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 make big changes, yeah. But we need to listen to these questions because if we don't listen to these questions, then they're going to come up again later and perhaps in even more dramatic ways. Um, but you know, what is the spirit saying to us today? The synod is not there to change something, yeah. But it's it's there in order to to listen, yeah, to listen to each other. Yeah. I'm also interested in your thoughts on this idea that the Synod hasn't really attracted a, a wide enough audience that, you, you know, that younger Catholics, younger Christians, they're not really interested in these kind of, these kind of discussions and that, you know, they're more interested in, let's say, um, certain liturgies, old right liturgies, for example. Um, what's your sense of what young people are searching for when it comes yeah. to that? the message that the church can offer. It's it's true that when you speak about a synod on synodality, um, it's not very easy for many people, especially young people, to understand what, what that's about. That's one of the reasons why we we, we called this ecumenical prayer vigil together, you know, because that's a word which is easily understandable and, and, and which also expresses something of the essence of, of what the synod is, uh, of walking together you know, on, on the same path. Um, but, you know, I think we, we live at a time when there's a lot of uncertainty and in times of uncertainty, then we look for clear identity. Um, and, um, you know, many of the young people that we meet in Teze, then, yeah, they're they, they may be attached to to traditional forms of of, of, of worship. Um, they may be very attached to the movements around you know the climate crisis uh, and the ecological transition. They may be very attached to movements which uh, lead to initiatives of solidarity with the poorest. Yeah, you know? um, but that's something very beautiful because they 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 find something yeah which where they can commit themselves yeah and 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 the question it's not you know of 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 saying oh uh they should be thinking of something else but it's 
it's the question of listening to 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 what they're experiencing, yeah, and 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 giving them a place, yeah. Um, and I know that for me, yeah, in in Teze, when after the evening prayer, that we're, we're a good number of brothers who stay uh, in the church just to listen to to the young people who are there. They can come up, you know, for a, a time of personal sharing, conversation, share a question that they have. And, and very often what they say, it challenges me in my faith. I'm just interested in what you would say to those people who sometimes struggle in their faith, sometimes who, you know, find it hard um, given the, the pressures at the moment on, on in many areas of life, be the economic questions or uncertainty yeah. about the future. What you, what you would say to people so that their faith can really mean something um, to them from someone who has, as you have, lived it, lived it out? Yeah, I think faith it demands a total honesty from us, and not to, you know, live in some kind of spiritual illusion. And many of us, I think, we we experience perhaps when we discovered faith, yeah, a, a great impetus, a great joy in committing ourselves. Um, but perhaps, you know, over time things become a little drier, and it's the question of faithfulness which which comes into play. Yeah, and the trust that if God called me, then it's God who remains faithful. It's He who allows us to continue on this path. Um, and I think, yeah, what we see in Teze, the important thing it really is to listen to people and to journey with them, not to have ready-made answers to churn out. Um, and yeah, this this trust that somehow Christ is there, suffering with those who suffer. That the Holy Spirit comes to to console and comfort us, um, and perhaps one of the biggest problems for people today with the difficulties that they face is that they feel isolated. The pandemic, yeah, it, it, it kind of uh, reinforced that. Um, and and how can we help young people and less young people break out of the isolation that they feel so often today? Questions of faith, but also. You know, on questions of, 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 of everyday life. That, for me, that's the big question. So what, one of the major topics that's come up in the Synod discussion so far is, is the role of women in the church. Uh, I know that Teze is um, a, a male um, monastic community. Would you ever consider having uh, female members um, in, in some shape or form? Um, and what are your thoughts on this on this burning question of of the need for a greater inclusion uh, of women in in the uh, decision making processes of the church? Yeah, I think you know these are very very important issues for us in Teze. Perhaps it's important to say first of all that uh, yeah, for well over fifty years now, um, there've been sisters present in in Teze who help us a lot with the pastoral work. It's they who accompany the young women who stay with us as volunteers or who visit for a week. Um, the Sisters of St. Andrew, a, a congregation of Belgian origin, uh, Catholic, but with a very ecumenical outlook. Um, they, they're the main community, and then there are, there are two other uh, communities who are present. Um, and we have a very close collaboration uh, with them but they're distinct communities. And I think that has its advantages because it gives a great independence on both sides um, and enables us to, to, to welcome the gifts 
of the others um, without expecting them to be like us, uh, so to speak. Um, and yeah, the the work together with the sisters in Teze, uh, uh, it's it's getting more and more uh, yeah, close yeah, in this collaboration, and, and and it's something very very important because we realize that they see things in a different way. Um, they notice things that we, you know, with our male way of looking at things, don't don't see you know, uh, perhaps at first sight or even at all. Um, and that's very, very important. And, and in some ways, they help us in our decision-making uh, processes uh, within the community. Um, and certainly in the past years, you know, since the time when there's been the revelation of of, uh, accusations of abuse you now against some brothers of, of, of the community, historical and also more recent. There, yeah, you know, the 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 sisters they've they've helped us enormously, yeah, um, uh, to 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 deal with those questions um, and and to look at them in a different way. It's a question that we have to keep open in our hearts, uh, but the way in which things are now, it's 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 very good for us. And I think you know one of the big questions. In the synod is is the role of women uh, in the Catholic Church. There are already um, women who have you know, a, a prominent uh, role in decision making processes within the Vatican. I, it's something you know. Over the last year, I, I've been uh, in Rome quite a lot and been visiting the different uh, dicasteries and uh, departments of the Vatican, and you realise that there are women already there who. Uh, uh, are very much involved you now in in the decisions on the bishops, you now on the running of the the great innovation of of this synod is that there will be women, religious and lay women, who will be present as um, voting members of the synod. Uh, and okay, we can say that uh, you know that it's a it's a it's a smallish number for the moment, but the doors open, yeah, and and it's an enormous step. And we need to be very thankful for that. Um, and we'll see where that leads, you know. Again, it's a case of listening to what the Spirit is saying to the churches today and moving together yeah, um, on these questions. Yeah. And the key thing that Francis is emphasizing is this idea of listening and not allowing um, ideologies to creep in. Because yeah. that really is the antithesis of of, of, of Christianity, isn't it? To, yeah. to to allow an ideology to take precedence. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know that's the great risk in the church in society today that we just shout at each other, you know, we don't listen to each other. Um, when when I was in the the the, the continental stage uh, in, in in Prague of the synod, and I, I was in this small group, and in fact, it was me who had to facilitate. Uh, the group. I, I don't know whether they realized at that time that I was Anglican, um, but uh, but I was sitting, and I'm not going to give any names, but I was sitting together with people who perhaps I wouldn't normally have sat together with. And as we listened to each other, there was a way forward, you know, and, and what could perhaps be classed as an ideology kind of dissolved into a common journey. Um, and, and, and that's it, you know, if we can sit down together and discover truly this, this listening ear, which is at the heart of our faith, yeah, then, then we're going to find a way forward. The spirit will lead us. So would that be your hope for this synod process that 
people can listen and perhaps be changed. Yeah, and I, you know, it's something that Pope Francis has said um, he, when when uh, uh, we with uh, a group of people uh, from different movements preparing for the, the prayer vigil in March. He received us, and he said something you know that, that struck me a lot, and he's repeated it in other um, uh, audiences as well. That you know, the Pentecost event, when the when the Spirit comes, at first everybody's disturbed; they don't understand what's going on. Um, but then afterwards comes the understanding. Afterwards comes the the sense of harmony and of peace. Yeah, and and this is a moment, yeah, where many people feel destabilized that we have to acknowledge. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're on the wrong path. Um, and that's my great hope that this synodal journey yeah, will will enable us to listen better to each other. Yeah, but there's that openness to. To move because the tradition it's something which is constantly evolving it, it's not something which is locked up in a box somewhere uh, and and how can we become uh, rather than museum keepers people who cultivate a beautiful garden so 30th of september in rome if people can't be in rome can they follow it online can they there's going to be the online streaming yeah through uh through through vatican uh, media um but if you look at the website of of, of, of the event, no, www.together2023.net, you'll see that there are also um, prayers and vigils being planned throughout the world. Um, and so if you, you look there and at, at the events map, then you, you may find that there's a vigil close to where you live uh, that you can you can take part in as well. Well, Matthew, uh, Brother Matthew, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your insights and uh, your own journey uh, with Teze. And uh, it's been been a pleasure to listen to to what you have to say. And uh, I, I think it's uh, yeah very inspiring. So thank you very much. Thank you, Christopher, for your welcome. And uh, yeah, we hope that on the 30th of September, it'll be a moment when we'll rejoice at the starting of this incredible journey. Yeah, the continuing of this incredible journey in the church. Thank you. Thank you. The Church's Radical Reform is sponsored by the Centre for Catholic Studies at the University of Durham in partnership with The Tablet. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.